Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Patrick. Welcome to another episode of Cave to the Cross Apologetics. We are working our way through Nancy Piercy's book, Finding Truth, Five Principles for Unmasking Atheism, Secularism, and Other God Substitutes. And we've uh, worked now to uh, the third principle in these five principles that she has for us. And uh, this principle is, uh, is, uh, has to do with testing the idol. Okay. So we'll get into that as, as we go through. But it's kind of interesting. And we're, in each of the chapters, and I'm not sure if we've mentioned this before, she kind of tells a story about mm-hmm. a person and that sort of thing. And so uh, we uh, have probably not been doing that. But this one is kind of interesting and helps, I think, make the point that she's that she's yeah. doing so we'll we'll tell briefly the story that she's talking about. she's talking about a cnn article about a lady named deborah mitchell who wrote an article uh entitled why i raise my children without god right why i raise my children without god of course that's kind of interesting you can't live without god but anyway <laughs> um <laughs> and uh she she lists several reasons why she shielded her children from learning about god most most of them are variants uh, Nancy Piercy tells us on the problem of evil. Of course, it right? Is. Yeah. <laughs> and so she's arguing that a loving God wouldn't allow all of these evil things, murders and child abuse and wars and that sort of thing. Of course, uh, as um, Nancy Piercy port, uh, points out, the classic Christian answer to the problem of evil is that um, God created humans with free will. And they have made a horrific mess of things, right? So this is called a free will defense. Yeah, there's always that side. And then the Romans 9 of God uses all things for his glory, including the evil. Right. God, God loved uh, Jacob but hated Esau. Good. And that's called a theodicy, yeah. by the way, given a reason why God uh, has evil, so that God can exist and evil can both exist at the same time. And our friend Scott Christensen is currently writing a book, and he did promise to come back on the show. I'm just saying, I'm calling him out right now, that he's got to come back at <laughs> Good, yeah. So uh, so what? So uh, Nancy points out here— uh, Having rejected the Christian answer, what did Mitchell offer as an alternative? (laughs) She proposed a materialistic worldview in which humans are completely determined without free will. Right? Okay, That's, just get rid of it. Yeah, we're just very, yeah. very uh, small part of a big, big machine, she intones. And the influence we have is minuscule. We must accept the realization of our insignificance. Yeah. That's what you want to teach your child. It, it, it's right? a it's a great a great thing. That's what I tell you know my kids all the time. You mean nothing, and what you do here in life uh, insurmounts to pretty much you being non-existent. Right. Yeah. And so you know, and, and so obviously Nancy Piercy points this out as well. Is that uh, to, is that meant to be an appealing alternative to Christianity? Uh, that humans are little machines trapped in a big machine. That their actions are insignificant. Right. Uh, <laughs> She says uh, the problem with it is that it's not true. Its view of uh, humanity runs counter to the data of human experience. That is this whole idea of materialism and dehumanizing humans. Right? Yeah, That's I mean, th- think think of the great stories humanity has written. Even even going back to Homer and the Odyssey, and or or just uh, the the scale of human history, where with leaps and bounds of 
you know, the automobile with Henry Ford or just the invention of the nuclear bomb with, you know, the Manhattan Project. These were small people working on a big thing that revolutionized. Yeah, changed everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, small people. Newton. Newton re or Leibniz, you know, whichever yeah. one, reinvents, reinvents calculus yeah. and just. It just does that, just off yeah. the top of his head. Yeah. I mean, like, small people enacting big changes. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So uh, she points out there's no society without some moral code, and yet um, materialism kind of leaves us bereft of a, of <laughs> right? a moral code, yep. right? The testimony of human, um, universal human experiences that humans are not merely little robots, right? After all... What is a worldview intended to explain? A worldview is meant to give a systematic explanation of those inescapable, unavoidable facts of experience accessible to all people in all cultures across all periods of history. Right? This, is, this is me putting it at the bottom of your screen. Yeah. That's a great, a, a great definition of worldview. That is good, yeah. So in biblical terms, those facts constitute what can be called general revelation, right? So... You'll recall there's a distinction between special revelation, which is scripture, and general revelation, which is the the world that God created, right? right? Reveals him. So both special and general revelation reveals who God is, right? Open your eyes. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So um, she says that um, the starting point for any philosophy, that is, uh, is the data that it seeks to explain, Right. If it fails to explain the data of experience, what we experience, then it has failed the test. It has been what what she calls falsified. Yeah. Right. And so she's going to go on to say, you know, to help us to see uh, the importance of uh, how, you know, uh, the uh, every worldview must meet the uh our experience or, right. or it fails right and 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 that's that's true for any theory uh and worldview you can kind of think as this this um uh, theory of what is it even trying to do it's trying to explain the world in which you live in if it doesn't explain what you're viewing then it's it's not a theory or it's not one worth having at mm. least mm. You know, if if you're if you're trying to determine if you're a fish and you don't account for water, uh, you're you're probably not. Uh, your theory probably doesn't yeah. hold water. <laughs> That's right, hold water. Uh, so we might think of this as the practical test of a worldview, right? This this is this is a, a pract- very practical um, a book that we're reading, and and here she's. Um, Offering us a, a test of worldviews, uh, we can test worldview by taking it into the laboratory of ordinary life. Hey, mm-hmm. that's super easy. That we can all afford ordinary life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can it be lived out consistently in the real world without doing violence to human nature? To, uh, another way to say it does it explain human nature appropriately. Right, right. Uh, doing violence to human nature means gutting it for what we what we <laughs> come to understand the human Ripping nature. Ripping it apart, yeah. making it un uh, you know unable to be recognized. Yeah, right? so much so that you've redefined what what uh, phenomenon you're experiencing uh, within human nature. Does life function the way that the worldview says it should? Does it really fit uh, reality? And does it match what we know about the world? Mm-hmm. Or as uh, Tony has always called this, the empirical adequacy test, because <laughs> that's what it's properly named. Yeah. Uh, what, so we could say that the purpose of the worldview is to explain what we know about the world. And if the worldview contradicts our fundamental experience, what we know by general revelation, then it's a good sign to be torn down, scraped, 
thrown away because it's worthless, because it's contradictory, or it doesn't explain everything. And that's that's the purpose of science. That's what it wants to do. And so you think these men of science that uh, want to replace Christianity with with some other view of the world uh, would want to easily do that because mm. they're not beholden to Christianity, of course. But clearly, if something better comes along in their in their uh, uh, basic assumptions, they would want to, of course, falsify that. But as we come to know from from uh, uh, Dr. Stokes, it's very hard for scientists to leave their theories. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, do they have the ability to account for data in a satisfying manner? If it cannot account for this data, then it must be erroneous. Yeah, so again and again, you know, it has to meet the test of the real world, right? Does it explain our experience? If it doesn't, then how can you, why would you think that that's the way things are? Right, right. right. And and when we're dealing with philosophy, we're dealing with something, yes, you you talk it through, you, you check it, you make sure that, that you're not just throwing away something that's good because you've noticed a, a hiccup or what you perceive as a hiccup. Um, it just has Christianity says, oh, well, here's a contradiction in the Bible. We must throw it away then. No, we, we, we sit there and we test it and we see um, if the, there's actually you know uh, something to, to do away with Christianity. And mm. so far, no. And, uh, and we're calling out the other worldviews. <laughs> So all will fail to account for at least some of these stubborn facts. And uh, we learned in principle two that uh, uh, that they become reductionists. They try to define the whole in the terms of the parts. And as, as a result, it, um, it it doesn't account for everything. There are things that are exist outside the box. There are tentacles that have to be cut off in order to fit the squid inside the box. Uh, so... Uh, what 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 sticks out of the box with with the example that uh, that Tony brought up here at the at the beginning of the book? Yeah, this materialistic yeah. Uh, position, right? It's it's human freedoms. Uh, it's it's uh, the fact serves as evidence that the person is not a very very small part in a big big machine. Instead, humans are personal beings capable of willing and choosing, which means their origin must be per, a personal being, not blind forces of nature. It's the the thing that best explains what we see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I I doubt this person honestly teaches their child in in that manner they, they if it's it's one thing to say god doesn't exist because i i can't explain or it's not satisfactory to me that uh evil exists but it's another thing to say as we were talking about okay child uh go out into the playground and remember it doesn't matter if you steal toys from the other kids because your, your actions are very small parts in a in a big thing mm-hmm. what 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 the parent wants to view as humbling Everybody else else would see that you can't live congruent to that you live congruent to that, and and bad things would result. Uh, and so, uh, personal here does not, of course, mean warm and friendly as we kind of come to know it. It means the capacity to think, feel, choose, and act. Uh, in contrast to non-thinking substances, and uh, 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 Professor Piercy gives an example of when you combine sodium with chlorine, the atoms re- react with one another to produce sodium chloride. Table salt, mm, the good stuff. Uh, the atoms do not make conscious decisions to interact, and I think this is a really, a really good thing. Yeah, but that's not the case with humanity. Free will Can you counters that theory. I'm not going to be salt today. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I refuse. Uh, it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's the, the the third movie of the Matrix. Why, why do you choose to not to be table salt? Because I choose to. So, uh, uh, so, so the question here then is: Well, everything's atom, right? Uh, we're atoms. Uh, animals are atoms. Plants are atoms. And so, uh, the mind in humans must be something more than just atoms, in order to 
rise above this idea that um, that that we can live outside the the only material, only what we see, only what's what's real uh, uh, materialistically. Um, it mu- there must be more to it. In other words, how do you explain how do you explain all the things that that uh, what all the things that it means to be a person right. that she's just described in terms of materialistic, you know, atoms, movements, that sort yeah. of things. How Cause do you explain and effect. That? Yeah, yeah. How do you explain that in right. just those terms? Yeah. Right. So think of us like uh, Disney princesses. Uh, we're we're <laughs> always we're always singing about wanting more because that's what we are. <laughs> so uh, to to have this uh, type of of reduction uh, uh, reduced um, idea of humanity, we in fact deny then uh, human freedom, and that's a hard hard thing to to get around. Um, and we we've seen. Uh, Philosophers try and do it. Dawkins tried to do it. In fact, and, we'll see some examples of that in this right. chapter, right? Where yeah. folks are denying freedom. Yeah, right? and um, and uh, our our, our um, guy that I can never remember when I need to, but he's the guy that uh, talked about well-being. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Harris. Yes. Yeah, see, Harris. if I just tell you that yeah. I don't remember, then so Harris also has this hard determinism, which which almost is a a offshoot of, of Christianity idea um, where he doesn't really believe in free will because uh, of his understanding of some some scientific theory that's out there uh, but again he I mean he he authors books and he carries on podcasts and he does he does free agent things in the world <laughs> that he doesn't just sit in bed and go well I'm gonna wait till the universe you know throws me out and that's right so his yeah. actions defy his position it seems so it yeah. seems so yeah. uh so the most surprising thing we will discover as we uh go through this chapter is that many of them when pressed actually acknowledge that their worldview does not fit the facts that wow. we will see that they they either live opposite they, of what they, they say cry or, uncle right <laughs> yeah, or, or they're not able to yeah yeah good so the next section she calls I, robot, we, machines, right? She says, do not be tempted uh, to think that worldview questions like these are esoteric, oh, yeah. right? Irrelevant to ordinary people. And she talks about a, her story about being raised Lutheran and that sort of thing. She says, I, was, uh, I saw it as one more nail in the coffin of Christianity with regard to uh, having— um, you know, wrestled with these issues and embracing physical and social determinism because that's the way she was she was being uh, taught that the world was, right? She says, for the Bible clearly teaches that humans exercise moral responsibility, and of course, if we're just atoms in the void, if we're just materialistic things, then there is no moral responsibility for a thing, right? right? We don't say when the car, you know, uh, or anything when the boulder rolls down the hill and smashes the house, we don't say evil boulder. <laughs> right. right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, we don't do that. Of course, she says that theologians debate the exact nature of human freedom. The reformers, Luther Cal- and Calvin, emphasize that humans <laughs> can do nothing to contribute to their salvation. Sure. Right. right. So you know, God, salvation is uh, by grace through faith, right? It's a, it's all the work of God in a sinner's heart, right? The liberating message of the gospel is that we do not have to earn or work for salvation, that both justification and sanctification uh, are by hearing with faith, faith, Galatians 3, 2, and 5, right? 
So she says, but the reformers did not mean that we cannot choose whether to have ham or turkey on our sandwich <laughs> for lunch. Right. Right. Or a myriad of other choices. Yeah. And, that's right. and uh, I, I would refer to you to, uh, I believe, uh, episode 13. I'll leave a link here uh, for Scott Christensen, his book, What About Free Will? Mm, good. Yeah. By contrast, she says, materialism holds that the humans only think they are choosing ham or turkey, right? <laughs> right. Now, not thinking that the, the ham and the turkey exists, although that might be, but thinking that they're choosing between those choosing, two things, yeah, right? right? In reality, their behavior is driven by, according to materialist, natural forces such as neurons firing in the brains, just like sodium reacting with chloride, mm -hmm. right? So it's not uh, a choice, it's salt. Or something like that. <laughs> All Christians agree in rejecting materialistic conception of humans as mere robots or uh, has been called meat machines. Mm -hmm. right? That's Our brains have been labeled as meat yep. machines You're by just a, a person bag of meat. that we will uh, be introduced to in this particular chapter. Right? Obviously, she says, humans are not free to do anything. Right, I can't. We can't just jump off and start flying. Right, right. right. That kind of stuff. Right there, we're embedded within a physical universe, a social world. We have a personal history that affects our choices. Yet within parameters, she says, we have some range of genuine choice and accountability. Right. Now, notice if a particular culture or society did not hold their people responsible. It couldn't exist. Right. right. I mean, if it, it was, was okay to do anything, <laughs> right. Yeah. If it's okay to do anything, it wouldn't exist, right? Yeah. Civilizations as a whole cannot survive without the conviction, she tells us, that people can be held responsible for their actions, right? And so clearly, then, our universal experience mm -hmm. is that we have the ability to make choices and we're responsible for our choices. If your worldview doesn't allow for that, too bad for your world. Man, that almost sounds like a Christian message to me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Scary. Uh, so uh, we get into principle number three, uh, which is to test the idol. So we looked at identifying the idol. We looked at the second one of, of, of how uh, the idol reduces uh, humanity in, in some fashion. Mm -hmm. And so now uh, we do what... what um, what does the idols, uh, what does belief in the idol uh, contradict what we know about the world? So we can kind of look at this as an external critique. What is it that the, the worldview is saying that uh, goes against what even itself or what we tend to know about the world that it isn't explaining or uh, explains incorrectly? Right. Right. So, yeah, so this, uh, so, you know, we want, the worldview is not comprehensive in terms of its explanatory power, right? right? It leaves unexplained too many things. And, right. it, and if it does that, then it's not a good worldview. Right. right? Yeah. Does, does it fit the, the, the real world as we see it? Um, and so uh, when we think that um, uh, human beings are morally responsible, uh, but yet justice is only a mirage um, that we, we kind of come up against a brick wall of, of our, our actions. Unless humans have free will, we will not develop a sense of identity or self-worth uh, because everything I do is really the work of 
uh, an unconscious automatic force, right? So I can't be held responsible for the murder that happened. It's just a series of cause and effects that led me to this. And and so um, murder was was just the the, on the other side of the equals equation. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. That's how the universe is. What is at stake is nothing less than the respect for persons. We are either... Uh, uh, free agents uh, in in certain capacities, or we're merely playthings of fortune. Mm. Mm. Free will has thus become kind of a stand-in for a whole range of human qualities and depend on it, and that's why so many in uh, in the philosophical world um, um, talk about this subject and, mm. and, and are forced to deal with it because it's so prevalent within, within us. Right. Most of the introductory philosophy textbooks she mentions have a section on free will, and yes, they do. Oh, yeah, right? absolutely. This is one of the issues uh, in, in the section on metaphysics, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's a 301 class, too. <laughs> uh, so her next section, she asks uh, why seculars, or makes this statement, why secularists can't live without secularism. Right. So she says, let's practice applying principle three. Right. So she's going to give us some practice here. Right. right? She's going to give us several examples and we'll use, she says, secularist own words and writings as uh, a way to practice them. So the first one she brings to the uh, to the fore here is uh, Galen Strawson. He's a philosopher who states with great bravado, she tells us, quote, the impossibility of free will can be proved with complete certainty. Great. Good. I'm going home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that ends it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. He's got the answer. That's All right. right. <laughs> Yet, she says in an interview, Strawson admits that in practice, no one accepts his deterministic view. Oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, no. all right. <laughs> to be honest, I can't really accept it myself, he says, <laughs> right? I can't really live with this fact from day to day. Can you really? Right. And right. so, uh, all right. So this is what you suggest is the way the world is. And yet no one accepts it. You don't accept it. And you can't live by it. Perfect explanation. Yeah. Complete certainty. <laughs> if uh, humans can't really live with it, she, she uh, indicates here, the implications of a uh, worldview is that uh, it's reality map right it's a reality map to reality that's the idea mm-hmm. so worldview here is seen as a map of the way the world is right and if we can't get around the world that is you know uh, with regard to the worldview then the map fails yeah. right if it leads us astray if it leads us to uh to a place that we didn't want to go the map is wrong right if it if it shows us things that exist that that shouldn't be there the map is wrong Right. Yeah. And and you would think about this if Christianity didn't have an origin for evil story. So why are, why are humans like this and you don't have Genesis 3 or any of the Old Testament? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we just we you, you just take another right because yeah. you're what, what's outside the left side of your window just isn't really there. We are we're not explaining it. We've that's torn right. the map. Uh, right. We've stuck it in the attic where the Goonies can find it. That, of course, you got to be careful because, you know, even though you may not believe the building is there. You really don't want to run into it. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. She says, moreover, Stra- moreover uh, Strawson says that he's not alone, that even uh, cognitive scientists who publish books <laughs> that they choose to do <laughs> and journal articles favoring determinism do not accept it as a workable theory to live by. They may accept it 
in their white coats, he says, but I'm sure they're just like the rest of us when they're out in the world, convinced of the reality of radical free will. In short, then, their practice, their practice, mm-hmm. what they actually do, contradicts what they profess, right. right? They are trapped in what she has now called cognitive dissonance, right? right? Paul's going to call something else. But yeah. I, and you don't see this in any other type of, uh, you know, experimentation. You, you, Galileo doesn't go up to the top of the tower and drop the bowling ball and feather. And, <laughs> you know, he, he, he's not going to stand uh, uh, underneath the, 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 the bowling ball and then move aside quickly to the feather. He's going <laughs> to understand that both of them are going to hit inside a vacuum, of course. But, yeah. uh, uh-huh. but you know, his, his predictions are going to cause him uh, to, to live in such a way that gravity is a universal constant that, you know, goes on us at 9.2 meters per second squared. And does the experimentation outside meet what we see from from uh, outside the, the laboratory? Yes, it does in that case. Yeah, good. So she says Strawson kind of states this conflict in striking terms, and she quotes him here, powerful logical or metaphysical reasons for supporting um, we can't have strong free will keep coming up uh, against equally powerful psychological reasons why we can't help believing that we do have it. It seems that we cannot live or experience our choices as determined, even if determinism is true. Yeah. And so she makes the point, you know, notice the uh, telltale phrases here, that these, that their ideas, we can't help believing that we cannot live on the basis of contrary ideas, <laughs> even if we think they're true. When a concept like free will keeps bubbling up, she tells us, right, and inescapably and irresistibly yeah. in the minds of someone who disavows it, <coughs> whose worldview directly denies it, that's a good clue that it is a truth of general revelation that is being suppressed, Right. Uh, the created order refuses to fit inside the box of an idol based worldview. Right. Right. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah. No. Deal with it. No. <laughs> Deal with it. Get out of here. <laughs> right. And so this is the kind of metaphor that I was trying to explain earlier. She says a worldview is like an internal map that guides us in nav- uh, navigating reality because idols defy a part of creation. They produce maps that cover only part of reality. As a result, in the course of ordinary life, humans keep walking off the map. Whoa, right? (laughs) The edge of the world. That's right. It happens whenever they are compelled, quote, to believe in free will or moral responsibility or anything else not covered by their particular cognitive map. Whenever they cannot, quote, live within the map's cramped borders, that should at least tell them that the map doesn't work, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't reflect reality. No one can consistently live on the basis of such a limited worldview map, she tells us. Yeah, how about that? Uh, Edwards Slingerland is also a uh, unabashed materialist and reductionist. Uh, he's he's uh, um, someone that argues that Darwinian materialism leads logically to the conclusion that humans are robots. And so... Uh, <laughs> Our sense of having a will or self or consciousness is just this illusion, (laughs) illusion. And yet he admits it is an illusion we find impossible to shake. 
Bing keyword, Bing yeah. keyword. Yeah. So the wall is just an illusion, but you know, every time I walk, I hit it. Yeah. So I can't really shake yeah. it, but I know it's yeah. an illusion. We're just all a collection of yeah. atoms. In and fact, it's... my nose is bloody, but I know the wall is an yeah. illusion. It's, right? a, it's a very rude wall for not letting <laughs> you through. No one can help acting like, and at some level, really feeling that he or she is free. It almost sounds like an ought to do or a must do. <laughs> yeah. We are con- cons- uh, constitutionally incapable of experiencing ourselves and other conspifics, aka humans, as robots. Mm. Uh, so if it's uh, incapable and we experience something, then what the theory tells us, those are good indicators that uh, the worldview is not talking enough about. Uh, what we see in the real world. Yeah, yeah, our experiences of the world. Right. Yeah. Uh, we are constituted in such a way that we unavoidably and inescapably experience uh, the lived reality of being moral agents, is what he goes on to to, to write. Mm. So how does he resolve the contradiction? Because clearly he, he's writing all about this. He's uh, he's he's est- established a... a, a, uh, a worldview, a, right? A worldview. That doesn't allow for certain things, yep. right? So it's contradictory to our experience. And boom, here's a phenomenon that comes yeah. up. The the the, the, the planet that we know spins in circles is doubling back on itself. So we've identified it, and so we're going to continue uh, with an explanation within our worldview that's that's going to take into right. account the that's spinning gonna back. That's going to explain this for us, right? right? Yeah, it's going to help us to work through this. Oh, so that we hold on, I'm, I'm reading here. Uh, he doesn't even try. Oh. So, uh, yeah. Uh, he said instead, so he doesn't even try to explain the contradiction in his worldview. Right, right. right. Yep. Yeah. Instead he says, we need to pull off the trick of living with a dual consciousness, cultivating the ability to view human beings simultaneously under two descriptions, as physical systems and as persons, which sounds very much like slavery, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) We must view these people as both uh, uh, tillers of the field, but I mean, also people, I guess. Sure. Uh, I just had to write down uh, James 1.8, double-mindedness. It leads to an unstable in all his ways. I believe the Bible has talked about this type of dual consciousness. (laughs) So, So, yeah, so it's not original with him. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. (laughs) So uh, he explicitly recommends this construction of uh, uh, mental dichotomy, this two-story division that we we keep seeing from from Nancy Piercy, and she also um, uh, has helped to uh, lift it from uh, uh, Francis Schaeffer. So kind of... um, uh, as as we saw with uh, materialists, put everything uh, physical down down in the in the basement or on the first floor, and then in the attic they put everything of the mind. Where the 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 romanticists do the opposite. Right. So they put the mind on, up the top. And, yeah, know, anything yeah. physical uh, we don't really want to talk yeah, about. That. In the basement. So dual consciousness <laughs> at the bottom. Humans are just robots. But then up at that's the, top, the real world, right? Yeah. Human for them, anyway, right, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, which kind of matrixy, right? I think <laughs> a little bit. Uh, and then up at the top, uh, uh, we're free agents. We're persons. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Uh, of course, up, that's in the attic, and yeah. we, you know that's not real. And we get rid of that, and you know it sticks out of the box, and so we kind of cut when, it off. When people hide in attics, that's bad history. I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, and of course, nothing good comes out of the attic. Yeah, uh, uh, ghosts, <laughs> Nazis. Yeah, nothing, nothing good. Uh, so uh, George Orwell famously called this uh, double think. Mm. Uh, uh, when a worldview fails to account for all reality, what do its adherents do? Do they say, "Well, I guess my theory has been falsified. I'll toss it out." 
Um, most people don't give up that easily. Why? Because that that is your 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 base root that your right. your your basic assumptions about how you view the world yeah. view the world. So you'd, if you did that, you'd have to kind of start all those, over. Those with things are really to, hard. Yeah. yeah, really yeah. hard to give up. And 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 th- if, if you think about kind of the Christian story of 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 of, um, of conversion, uh, you know, it's called putting off the old man and putting on a new, you are a new creation. Mm. It, there's, mm. there's something so, so revolutionary transfixed right. on, on that, on that change that it, it launches you into being dead and made alive. So again. Christianity says you have to do that. You have to put off that old worldview, <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and take on the new. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and so uh, uh, she goes on to say here that uh, a dual consciousness is a signal, bing, 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 that contrary evidence from general revelation is being suppressed. So that that should be uh, a good indicator for us to help point point them out that that they're that they're suppressing evidence here, and um, th- then we can include um, uh, steps four and five as well. Uh, she goes on to say that uh, every non-biblical worldview ends up with some form of dual consciousness or dualism. There will always be a contradiction between the realities that acknowledge what fit, fits in the box and the realities that denies what sticks outside the box, what's in the basement and what's in the attic. Mm. A conflict between what it professes and what it suppresses. Yeah. It, it, it will inevitably happen. And, she, and so uh, her next section she calls losing total truth. She says the price of accepting such a sharp dichotomy, however, is the loss of a unified truth, right? Uh, uh, Slingerland's uh, two views of the human person are logically contradictory. For if we really are robots operating by pure material causes, then freedom is impossible. There is no logical coherence, unified worldview that can encompass both these contradictory views of the person. Right, And, of course, she points out that from time immemorial, pe- people have held to the idea of a unity of truth. Right. Huh. Uh, the universe Makes itself <laughs> is integrated and coordinated and that sort of thing. Right. right. And so she says, but until roughly the 1930s, American higher education was based on what was explicitly called the unity of truth. In fact, universities. Right? <laughs> uh, the conviction that all truth, which were started by Christians, by the way, <laughs> uh, agreed and ultimately could be related to one another in a single system. So uh, the problem is, though, that uh, they embrace a worldview that is radically reductionistic after this, uh, during this time. So on one hand, and on the other hand, they cannot deny the truths that are pressed on them by everyday experience, the truths of general revelation. And so they have done what earlier generations would have found unthinkable. They have given up the idea of the unity of truth. Yeah. Right. And so truth isn't unified anymore. It's piecemeal and, you know. You have your truth and I have mine. Yeah, yeah, you deny it outright, yeah. uh, of course. Uh, so I think that's where we're going to stop uh, for today. Uh, there's a lot to cover there. Um, it, it's it's uh, it's good to see these examples uh, come into play because, yes, we can talk about, uh, well, just look at the world and, wh- you know, what do you explain? Uh, what do you not explain? Yeah. Nuh-uh. You know, the, <laughs> it, it's, it's nice to, to be able to look for uh, those keywords that we can uh, uh, kind of latch on to and, and see uh, where it might be. And also uh, the, the quotes that she's, she's uh, pulling from scientists, they, they are— And at, philosophers. At, at, yeah, at, at the very—I put them in the same camp, like <laughs> theologians, but, you know, I have a higher view of theologians. Um, but uh, these, these uh, folks that are writing 
um, are being quite honest uh, with the implications and how it, uh, how it works so out. So you really do appreciate their honesty. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're straightforward. Right. I mean, these are these are men wrestling with these ideas and struggling and trying to come up with mm-hmm. a way to, to, that this works. Yeah. And, of course, it can't because they're leaving out right. portions of reality. And so we might come into conflict with people who aren't so honest or don't know how to be this honest. They might have heard it on a Joe Rogan podcast and uh, seen Sam Harris talk about, you know, well, <laughs> you know, there's this experiment where when you make a decision, uh, there's a part of your brain that lights up that makes the decision before you actually make the decision. And so, therefore, you're deterministic. And then <laughs> real science comes out and says, well, that's not exactly what's what's seen. But that's neither here nor there. But this is a good, uh, I think, walkthrough of 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 this uh, one, and it's it, it might seem to be, I think, um, out of the the two uh, internal critique or an external critique. This one might be uh, a little bit on the harder side. I yeah, would say. Yeah. So. so the basic idea is: Does the worldview, does the claim that they make, fit with the re- way we know the world is? Right? Does right. it fit with reality? And if it doesn't then we have no reason to hold that it is the correct world. Mm-hmm. Right? So we'll be continuing on next time with this chapter. Um, as always, comments in the the um, in the sections below that you're probably seeing this on. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes if people still use iTunes, although I see most of you on Stitcher, so hi, Stitcher <laughs> viewers. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, tell us what you think. Uh, let us know. Are you getting anything out of this? Is this uh, helpful? Uh, I mean, we're still going to do it, whether or not uh, there's an audience, I think, because uh, we like to hear ourselves talk, and we do it anyways. So uh, uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next and, time. And thanks for your support, and thanks for your um, s- subscribing to our yeah. channel. We Soon really we'll ask for money, so it'll yeah. be fine. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're building up, uh, we're buttoning up right now. (laughs) See you next time.